All right, church. Uh, today we have a special bo- bonus message. Um, essentially, if you were at church on Sunday, you you know that we didn't finish the text that we were hoping to finish. Uh, we weren't able to wrap everything up as as nicely as I would have liked to. And, and we have some guest speakers coming in the next few weeks, and uh, you know they already have their assignments. They have their 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 scripture passages, and I don't want to mess that up by not finishing and completing what I was supposed to do. So. Uh, today, over the next few moments, we're gonna we're gonna cover uh, the rest of what I was supposed to cover last week, which is Colossians two, verses sixteen through twenty three. So we're gonna cover those last uh, those last eight verses um, of the book uh, of the cha- of chapter two in Colossians, and uh, and we're gonna call this one if if you're taking notes, if you're writing anything down, or or just so. Uh, he knows what to call it on the podcast. Uh, it's going to be called "Guarding Your Treasure." Guarding your treasure. So, um, what's interesting? So, we've been talking about uh, the last week. We talked about the fullness of God and how we are full of the fullness. How how Christ is full of the fullness of God, and we are in Christ, and so we're also full of the fullness. And and so. Um, and so what Paul wants to let them know is a couple of ways to guard their treasure. That's a thing to be treasured, the fullness of God. That's a, that, that is the greatest treasure man has ever known. And so he wants to give them a couple of ways to guard that treasure. And, and what's going to happen is he recognizes that there's going to be some, some attacks. There's going to be some things that are going to come and try to rob you of your fullness, that is going to try to rob you of your belief. And, and he says we need to stand firm and we need to stay strong. And he gives us kind of a few different things in the book of Colossians um, here in these last eight verses uh, of chapter 2 to um, essentially uh, some, some, some commands uh, or, or some suggestions uh, or just some some action items, and uh, and so we'll go ahead and jump right in, and we'll uh, kind of keep the same format. Well, I'll read the scripture, we'll talk about it a little bit, and then uh, we'll we'll close it out here today. So, uh, so the first thing he tells the Colossians in this passage is to not let anyone judge you. Do not let anyone judge you. All right, how do we keep somebody from robbing you of your fullness? Do not let anyone judge you. Verse 16, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Okay, so the warning included two areas. Uh, the, The warning included the diet and the days, the diet and the days. Regarding uh, their being judged about the diet first and foremost, because that's what he starts with in verse 16, there were, it's obvious that there were people who were saying that the way to God and, and spiritual fullness would be enhanced if the Colossian believers returned to the dietary laws of the Old Testament. Now, as you might remember, if you've been with us for a while, and we did a series on Leviticus uh, not too long ago, um, the Old Testament categorized certain foods as clean and unclean. We saw that in Leviticus chapter 11. Now, obviously, there's a lot of reasons. There, 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 there are physical reasons for this. 
um, such as health, health issues and diseases. And, but there are also spiritual reasons, uh, which, which drew distinctions between foods that were meant to familiarize God's people uh, with, with purity or impurity and, and, and stimulate the conscious of, of everyday life. But when Jesus came, those dietary laws were abolished. Right? Jesus came and he, he took care of that. He abolished the dietary laws. And Paul made this conclusion in 1 Corinthians 8.8. 8, Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do. Okay, so New Testament scriptures are, are, are basically unified in telling us that, that all food and drink are lawful. Of course, dietary principles are a good idea. Eat too many candy bars, you're going to know it. It's going to be a problem. Drink too much soda, drink, you know, whatever. Like anything in excess, you do too much and you, you're, you're going to have issues. You're going to have problems. Uh, but dietary discipline is not necessarily a sign of spirituality, especially dietary discipline to the point at which these, these people, I guess, were, were speaking over the Colossians saying that they needed to go back to Old Testament dietary laws. They needed to adhere very strictly and strongly to all of these different laws in the, in the Old Testament. Um, and in that regard, we're not to judge others or allow anyone else to pass religious judgment on us in regard to food and drink. So do not let anyone judge you. Now, the same also applies to days. Uh, that's the second thing he talked about. He talks about the days, the festival, the new moon, the Sabbath. The Jews had their special feast days. We, we may remember we talked about these in Leviticus 25. Uh, and, and they had some new moon celebrations. So you can read about those in Isaiah 1 and their, their Sabbaths. Uh, and, of course, you probably understand the idea and the concept of the Sabbath. Uh, you can read a little bit more about that in Exodus 20. But here's the thing. When Christ came, he fulfilled them all. All right. Now there's there's a little debate on this as far as the Sabbath goes, but 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 I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say this out there: uh, we no longer celebrate the Sabbath because we now worship on the Lord's day. That's Revelation one ten, the first day of the week we worship. First Corinthians sixteen, Acts twenty, the day that commemorates the resurrection, we worship. John twenty. Um, the, the 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 thing is is we. We already do this. We, we worship and we give days to the Lord always because they're all his. Verse 17 says that these things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. All right, the, the dietary rules, they, they sensitize God's people to purity. The, the great feasts taught various aspects of God's work. And the Sabbath displayed something of, of the, the rest into which he leads his people. But they were just a shadow, Scripture says. The real thing has come in Christ. The, this, this idea that spirituality can be you know, sort of quantified really provides this undeniable basis for pride and judgment, judgmentalism where we, where we are prou proud of ourselves, proud of what we do, proud of what we believe, and we judge others for, for believing and thinking and, and being different. The flesh finds doing truly spiritual things difficult. 
Right? Matthew 26 says, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But the flesh has no trouble with religious rules and regulations. Church, here, here is the authentic. This, this, is, this is the lore to legalism. And that's essentially what's happening. Don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone judge you for, for being non-legalistic. Okay, this is the lure to legalism. Doing spiritual things is difficult. But following rules and regulations, okay, we can get on board with that. We can, we can check those things off. We can, we can say that we did this and we did this and we did this and we did it well. But one of the main problems with legalism is it also spawns judgment. Right? Like we, 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 once we're legalistic, once we're at that place, once we have that legalistic pride, now we're judging everybody. And judgment is no good. Judgment is no good for the person being judged, nor is it good for the person judging others. It, it tends to just shrivel our souls. Legalism is, is intrinsically joyless. Right? There, there's, there's no joy to be had in this idea of legalism. Legalism demands uniformity. I think whenever you find legalism dominant, you're going to find people who dress the same way and use the same speech and the same posture and the same manners and maybe even the same facial expressions. This, this idea in, in, in Scripture and this idea that, that some believers have when it comes to how to portray scripture and how to encourage people in scripture is to have this list of do nots. Do not do this, do not do this, do not do this. These are these rules and these regulations. Instead of being known for, for what we're for, uh, some believers are known for what they're against. And whenever that happens, that there, there's clearly legalism involved, but when that happens, there's this strange uh, vision of uniformity, of of. And, and, and it's and it, it can be off-putting. It can be honestly very, very off-putting. Also, legalism produces a surface faith because it tends to emphasize things that honestly aren't really that important. Whenever you have your list of do nots, it doesn't include deadly sins such as such as coveting, such as gossip, such as slander, such as bitterness and hatred. Like those things aren't included. They they cover other things. The do nots and cover and include and, and cover other things. But legalism limits somebody, limits us, limits the person who who's bought into it to shallow self righteousness. But interestingly, so all that to say, interestingly, Paul does not say forbid the faithful to keep special days and special diets. Rather, he says, let no one pass judgment on you in these things. Verse 16. Here, here's the thing, church, and this is why I'm talking about legalism. And this is because, I mean, obviously there is some legalism coming at the Colossians, and that's why Paul is addressing this. But, but here's why I'm, I'm spending a moment on it and talking about it for a second. Because there is great liberty in what we Christians can do. This, this is what Paul's saying. There's great liberty all right, he, do, he doesn't forbid anybody. Nobody has been forbade or forbidden for, of doing certain things. He, he, he just says, let no one pass judgment on you. 
And so here's what he's telling us. There's great liberty. We can keep days and diets or we can forget them. We can do it or, or we don't have to. It's, it's essentially, it's fine. But he rejects the right of anyone to judge and or to compel another to comply with his own preferences. We're not to judge other by these things, others by these things, and we're not to allow others to judge us. This is a warning to the Colossians and to us to take heart, because time and time again, as legalism has come into the church, the church has become judgmental, joyless, uniform, and shallow in faith. But he keeps going, because as bad as legalism is, there's another danger that's, that's just as harmful. And it's this other error called mysticism. So in the next in the next two verses, verses eighteen and nineteen, he he has sort of another challenge. He has another uh, uh, another directive to the Colossians. The first one was don't let anyone judge you, um, and he gives a warning against legalism. And then the next one is do not let anyone disqualify you, and it's a warning against mysticism. All right, so before we jump into this and, and explore this idea, we have to say that Christian mysticism, like per se, is not evil. For, for its goal is honestly a deeper knowledge of God. But, but what we're talking about in this passage, and we're going to be talking about here in, in these moments, is a mysticism that is not rooted in Christ. In the context of the passage, it's a mysticism that, that comes from the pretense and imagination of the Gnostics, our good friends, the Gnostics, which we've been talking so much about. The Gnostics were great pretenders, and, and, and they fooled not only themselves, but they also tried to fool the Colossians. Paul says that the Colossians were in danger of being deprived of their reward and future glory by the, by the pretense of their, their, not, their Gnostic friends. So let's read the passage. Uh, starting in verse 18, let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Okay, that's a that's kind of a dense couple of verses, so let, let's talk about this. Um, the Gnostics, again, they... they they were deceptive. They were, they, were, they were slivers of truth to what they said, and they were deceptive. And, and, and they took a very deceptive approach with the, the Colossians. And, and that's, we, we see that in, in verse 18. They used uh, false humility by insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels. All right, they they love to act humble and say that we're we're not good enough to go directly to God. So we begin humbly with one of the angels, which if we are correct, if we were in, correct in spirit, then this will elevate our requests throughout the hierarchy of God. Remember, we talked about last last week, uh, I believe it was, uh, of how the Gnostics believe that that they had to work their way up through lesser gods before they could reach the ultimate God. And so this is that same idea. They're, 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 they're using this false idea of humility and, and, and saying, you know, we can't even go to God ourselves. We need to go through the angels, and we need to begin to work our way up through the hierarchy of the Lord. 
The Gnostics also claim to have special revelations. They, it says, uh, going into detail, in verse 18, going into detail about visions. So, so this was actually like a, a technical phrase used in that day. Uh, and it is to describe someone being admitted to a higher grade in one of the mystery religions. Um, that's sort of the, the idea there. They're going into the detail about vision is sort of a technical phrase. And, and through this, honestly, they claim to be on the inside. Like the, the Gnostics were actually, they were actually proud. They were, they were puffed up without reason by their sensuous minds is what Paul calls them. And what he says here in verse 18. Uh, so, so they advertise humility, but, but they were filled with, with just huge conceit. Ultimately, it was all vanity. It was all a sham. It's, 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 it's all falsehoods. But here's the thing. Learning the secrets of the spirit world, it can, it can be kind of enticing. It can be alluring. I mean, think about some of the things that we eat. Tarot cards, for example. They're, they're interesting. They're inviting. They're aesthetic design. It's, it's meant to, to just, just speak of mystery. And, and so many people have fallen into to their lie. The, I remember one time we were on a mission trip um, when I was in, in middle school or high school, I believe, and and uh, we we went to we went to World Changers in Atlanta, Georgia, and we we're in the Atlanta underground walking around. Uh, it was kind of on our day off, and and I saw this this lady with the tarot cards, and I wanted to go over. I was just so drawn to it, like it's so weird, it's so different, it's so mystic, and. And, and, and I wanted to go over there and, and I remember my group leader said, no, you can't, you can't go over there and, and it's probably a, a good thing. But, um, so many people, you know, so many people buy into these things and, 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 and today it's disguised as just good, good fun. We don't believe it, but it's good fun. But, but then something happens and, and there's a thing that, that might, that might happen or a thing that's said that all of a sudden there's a tinge of belief there. And those are the things that pull us away. He's saying, he's saying, you gotta, he's warning us against mysticism. Think about the Zodiac, the signs of the Zodiac. Some people, I know people that read the, the horoscope every single day, profess, profess to be believers. And, but they read this and they, they really buy into it. And they really think that, you know, there's something there. There's, 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 there's tinges of truth. There and, and then, of course, the other thing that they're dealing with is this this exceptional display of, of piety, right? There's that's so attractive to people. Some people are drawn to those who who <laughs> who say they are the humblest people in town, um, and and it's just a really 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 interesting way that the Gnostics went about alluring and enticing people over to their school of thought. But the root of the problem, he, he kind of lays it bare here in verse 19. Uh, he is not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Here it is, church, that the false teachers had and have no part of the true body of Christ. I mean, this, this, this was and, and still is the answer for those of us who want to guard ourselves against, against divisive and false teaching. We must hold fast to Christ the head. We must hold fast to Jesus Christ because that is, that is where truth is found. That is where hope is found. That is where, that is, that is, that is where the truth is. 
And we need to be there. We need to be in that place with truth, with Jesus. So he goes on. Uh, the last one that he warns us against. Um, he he says, let the, in, in verses twenty through twenty three. These are our last verses for uh, this this time together. He says, let let no one enslave you. Uh, that's kind of the next command, the next uh, uh, the, the the next idea. Let no one enslave you. And then he gives us a warning about asceticism. Um, and so so let me give you this idea of of what. Uh, well, here, I'll, I'll read first, and then I'll explain what asceticism is. Um, if with Christ, starting in verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to all things that perish that as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed... An appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Okay, um, so church history is honestly full of it's littered with stories of ascetic excess and the rejection of beautiful and good things in the pursuit of God. All right, and that's what asceticism is. It's it's rejecting, just rejecting, rejecting good things. And we're talking about extreme asceticism, okay? Like like, and throughout history, we've seen the rejection of marriage. We've seen rejection of sex, re- rejection of parenthood, rejection of the beauty of God's creation, even rejection of self. But this self-made religion doesn't do any good. In fact, I think it heightens fleshly temptations, and it obviously produces a joyless, defensive approach to life. But, surprisingly, I guess, asceticism has its own seductiveness, right? Today in in Eastern religions, and in Eastern form, it attracts the indulgent cultured elite. Thousands of people today have their gurus, who, who they uh, make their ascetic nod to God, right? Um, and, and ultimately seen for, for what it really is. This is an expression of independence from God that says, I'm going to get to God on my own terms by my own might. Asceticism, here, here, here it is, church. Here, here's, 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 the, here's the sound bite for you. Asceticism feeds the flesh by starving it, okay? And, and he's warning against extreme asceticism. God gave us good gifts. We don't have to abstain from them. And so here's the answer. The answer to this delusion uh, of of extreme asceticism, verse 20, we have, uh, with Christ, died to elemental spirits of the world. Our death in Christ has freed us from the demonic powers of this world that promote and thrive on human asceticism. Because we died with Christ, they have no actual power over us. So, so we need to, again, check our account and live in the full joy of God's creation, enjoying him and his people. The reality is this. In him, Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and in him we have been made full. We read that in verses uh, 9 and 10 last week. But we can lose the fullness of, uh, the benefits of that fullness so easily. 
we can fall into legalism and 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 through that we fall into self-righteousness and joylessness and judgmentalism we can we can succumb to mysticism and and even develop a proud elitist spirit that contributes nothing to true worship we can get into asceticism thinking that it will make us more holy when actually it will feed our flesh so, so here it is. The answer to legalism is the continual realization of the grace of Christ. The, the answer to mysticism is an understanding of how profoundly we are related to Christ. The answer to asceticism is, is, is the understanding, the knowledge that, that we have died, been buried, and are resurrected with Christ. The answer is where it all began, at the foot of the cross. I've seen in my own life and and the lives of those that I've ministered to and counseled that there is a tendency to move away from where we had our beginning, the cross. All of our theology, all of our preaching, all of our singing hymns together, the the disciplines of life experienced in, in family and relationships are meant to keep us right at the foot of the cross. Resting in the fullness of Christ. That's my prayer for you today as we've, we've talked about these, these few things. That, that we would steer clear. Uh, that we would steal ourselves. That we would, that we would watch out for some of these things. That, that, that these, aren't things these are things that were happening in, in the city of Colossae. They were happening all over and they are still happening Today, these are things that we still have to watch out for. Things that we still have to be wary of. Uh, we we have to be wary of judgment. We have to be wary of mysticism and and things that pull us away from the the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to be wary of of the idea of of depriving ourselves for the sake of depriving ourselves for the sake of doing something good so that we can work our way up to heaven. Uh, when in actuality, we're just keeping ourselves from the good gifts of God. So my prayer is that we would recognize these things, that we would steal ourselves against these things, and that we would, uh, that we would rely uh, fully, we would lean fully into the fullness of Christ, and that we would continually go back to the cross each and every day. Have a great day. You are loved.